Good morning, everyone. Joining us today is Juno representative Sarah Hannon. Sarah's school is starting next week. It's the end of summer, whether we like it or not, whether you got your summer chores and fun in or not, and whatever the weather says. It's We are the August frenzy. Uh, what's your favorite part when you came back to school when you were a teacher? Well, when you're returning to school, it's the excitement of the new, you know. You're starting fresh. That's that's one of the great things about a school year. Whether you're a kid or a student or a staff, you start fresh. You know, whether it's brand new pencils and brand new jeans or friends and catching up and, um, you know, that expectation and anticipation of what holds for the year, you know, especially... Um, you know, if you're a fifth grader, knowing this is your last year and next year you go to middle school or whether you're a sixth grader with that anxiety over I've made the big transition to the big kid school or, you know, goodness knows and where I spent my career with those very big kids and those incoming seniors um, and that one year left to get it all done and the dreadful senioritis, the senioritis, which, Ugh. yeah. And I always, you know, the first day of school, I always start berating the students with, okay, you're a senior, now what's next? What are you going to do? Do you have a plan? And, you know, they, what are you going to do after this? And, of course, many of them are, uh, you know, they wanted to lounge on their, the fun of senior year as opposed to what I would say to them is, you have to have an answer. You've got to think about what's your next step. And if that step is you're joining the military, have you already explored your options and fitness qualifications? If you're <laughs> planning to go to college, do you know when the application deadlines are? Are you applying for an apprenticeship? Do you know when their deadlines are and what your grade entrances are? Oh, yeah. Or have you broken to your family that you're thinking you're going to take a year off and be a ski bum? Oh. Well, <laughs> do you have the, you know, the pile of cash to do that? And, um, you know, that... That, especially your senior year, as you know, goes mm. really fast. Oh, yeah. And so if you haven't gotten that planned out, boy, August seems like it comes early, but December and deadlines for a bunch of different things comes really fast. And then the next thing we know, we're we're on the approach to the next phase of life. So um, and before like that, summer's over. Summer's over. Yeah. And on the topic of new, though, uh, I, w I wanted to ask you about this funding coming to schools from the Alaska Reads Act now that that's signed into law. Uh, I actually, so not all school districts get new money out of it, right? So, so there wasn't, uh, and, a, and you know, a, a district like Juno, where we already had. Um, a kinder program, some reading focus. My understanding, um, and I'd, I'd certainly defer more to Rep Story, who's co-chaired our education committee and um, spent hundreds of hours on that bill in particular. In the final macerations, I, I believe we still are under that um, some of that money rolls out this year to districts to try and implement preschool programs that haven't had them. And of course, again, the Juno School District has had, uh, we've had some preschool programs affiliated with our kindergarten programs and kindergarten readiness. Um, and I, my belief, my, my recollection is that this first phase is to try and get school districts who haven't had those to implement those. And that over the next three years, there will be money um, 
to bring more schools into having kindergarten readiness programs, preschool programs, as well as reading-focused curriculum developed. But again, the Juneau School District at least for the last decade, has focused on reading interventions. You know, our elementary schools have have a unified reading focus program. Um, so I don't I don't think we'll see as substantive changes. But you know, your perspective on the school board could be different. Maybe you're hearing from our administration that there will be some immediate changes. But well, in I the past, I I do remember pre-K being a big topic of discussion and that what what avenues could we go to in the city to fund pre-K that's what I remember from several years ago and so what do you think now that we may be just a step closer to it for here in Juneau more funding that is well, for pre-K from the right. state right well again so most of our pre-K programming had been to get kids who had identified deficits, you know, if you had an early identified child with um, who was going to be special ed eligible and on an IEP that many of our programs were, those kids who've been identified by early screenings into services to help them get skills. And then you always have um, peers, you know, the uh, students who don't need those services to do that. And of course, the other thing that we've had as a community is a Head Start program. Oh, Um, yeah. So those are both pre-K programmings that we've had some of, but we don't have it universally and free. And I'm, excuse me, I'm sure you know, uh, school districts are not required under state law to offer anything before first grade. So kindergarten programs, pre-K programs, Um, are only required on any federal special education outreach, but not required and funded by state law. Now, the legislature has generally put some money towards that, that districts like Juneau have chosen to make sure we're reaching that. Because everyone in an education has understood for a long time that if you're not touching a child's skills or assessing them till they're age six, they could be far behind, you know. So if you if you start far behind, that catch up over the course of your academic career is pretty steep. But if you can catch them up between ages four, five, and six, if they're really close to their peers, then they have the ability to to proceed with everyone else. Um, and the focus of the Reads Act and is to get all kids to reading at quote grade level on standardized tests by the end of third grade well having a year or two of preschool and a kindergarten as well as first and second before you get to that third grade test is the best path forward the earlier we help children get the skills they need to be successful the better and I'm not at all saying that three-year-olds and four-year-olds should be reading but they're learning sounds and enunciation and exposed to vocabulary. Um, And across the state with 52 school districts, there are a lot of school districts who have fewer programming options than Juno. So that's where I come back to. I don't think in this first year or two, we're gonna see much infusion of money because we actually didn't put very much money into that programming. And the goal was to look at the school districts who had the lowest scores at third grade to to intervene there. 
so so it's the resources for pre-k that you're saying we, right. we, we were all, okay yeah uh, on another topic uh, uh, tell us about the proposed social media guidelines that were presented to the legislative council um well they're just in draft form but what we are faced with is um Across the nation, social media platforms provide the opportunity, as you know, for people to interact. And legislators in their official capacity as government entities have an obligation to make sure that anything that they are providing as a public access um, doesn't infringe on uh, citizens' free speech opportunities to interact, you know, the, the public square. The issues arise when that intersect between me on my own personal Facebook page and me as a legislator on a Facebook page and what kind of interactions you're having with the public and um, are you suppressing any of it? Are you blocking people, hiding comments? And there is not... There's a variety of legal guidance based on different jurisdictions from states to federal jurisdictions. Um, I mean, this is new territory. It's new territory. And so uh, we're a little behind the curve, but it's not clear what the lines are because we haven't had Supreme Court decisions. We've got some federal rulings in different. circuit courts affecting different regions of the U.S. about it. And of course, in every one of those cases, there's a specific fact pattern of what did you do, you know, what did you do as the elected and what were the comments of the person that is challenging it legally and saying, you've suppressed my free speech rights, you know, and there, there's always the absolute, you know, if we go back to an early 20th century decision that gave us the frame that people talk about of you can't yell fire in a theater, um, very few people remember that if that's all they know, they, they forget that was just an example, but the case wasn't about a theater or yelling fire. It was about a man saying, um, don't show up for your military service. And it was during World War One, And he was he was sending out flyers and saying, the government's going to send you off to war and you're just a pawn in this war and, and you should not arrive. And that was what was deemed um, too risky, that it was a danger to the U.S.'s safety to have someone telling people, soldiers, not to show up. Um, and it was deemed that he couldn't say that. Now, I don't think our Supreme Court would rule the same way today. Um, certainly, they wouldn't, because right now we have an all-voluntary military. But in the, you know, World War One, we didn't. Uh, it was a conscri- you know, conscription. Mm-hmm. So um, we also, there, you know. The, the courts have ruled clearly about threatening speech. You know, if, if someone writes with a threat of direct harm or clear, obscene language, suppressing that is acceptable, but is obscenity in the eye of the beholder and is a threat in the eye of the beholder? And where is, from? Mm. you know, where's that gray area? So... Um, is it just a comment or is it a threat? A threat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, and everyone feels differently. And of course, um, do you know those pre- people in reality? Are they your neighbor or are they, you know, are they a Russian troll making that comment? So, uh, so what are your thoughts on the policy? Do you, do you think we have a need for guidelines? Absolutely. On this? I believe we have a need for guidelines oh, okay. because we have legislators in the state that are um, having, we've, we've had at least three lawsuits filed against seated members of the legislature in the last two years over social media interactions. So with that, when we don't have guidelines that help the elected members know where they, what what are the parameters, what are the guardrails of what they can and cannot do, um, you know, but more specific comments on the policy, I'm not, you know, I'm the chair of a committee and I'm working with 14 members who are working with, you know, the entire 60 having to try and share their thoughts and craft a policy based on what our members believe they need, what they want, and with legal guidelines. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm at this moment agnostic as to the exact things in it, but I strongly believe we absolutely need to give elected members clear guidelines about social media to make sure they understand their obligations to protect the free and fair interaction with the public and, um, protect them from being attacked and threatened well and thank you for that update the last we saw was that it was discussed and that it was in draft form it sounds like it will still be in draft form do you have a idea yet of when it may be taken back up oh yeah we we we've got a meeting coming up in the next couple of weeks and um we'll talk about it again and you know as you know in that process um I don't believe we'll have finalized it at our next meeting. There's a lot of interaction among elected members and staff coming our way about what they don't like of the second draft that we've sent around um, and where they want it to be. So uh, it it will be a process to have in place. Um, And of course, it's, it's a little bit complicated. You know, it's summer in Alaska, so people's focus isn't always on the legislature and thinking long-term policy, you know, and then we could overlay it with, um, it's a campaign season and sometimes separating campaign rhetoric issues from legative policy. Um, it's tricky. It, it gets tricky for people okay. to understand. We're not, the legislative council and legislative authority is only about electeds serving in their role. It's the in-house rules campaigns we don't have a say in that um and you know yeah well we'll have more to speak with the representative after the break stay tuned and we're back with Juno representative sarah hannon during the break we had spoke a little bit about what other legislatures are doing to address social media and they have pages for legislators and you had shared what Washington is doing. Yeah, I was just at a national conference and social media policies are not a unique controversy to Alaska. Um, And one of the panels that I attended uh, was an interesting thing that Washington State Legislature, um, they actually have fewer personal staff in their legislature. They have a much bigger nonpartisan agency um, that work, you know, so 
provide all the staffing for a group, so they have caucus staff. And in the Washington legislature, no individual members are allowed to have social media uh, pages that they have access. They have page Facebook pages. Their staff operate them. The members are not even allowed to have passwords and access them. Um, and anything before it's posted goes through a vetting process to make sure it's accurate. The numbers are checked, the facts are checked, and then it can be posted, and then the staff can uh, share communications with the electeds. Um, you know, so there is a wide diversity of ways states are managing social media policies, managing them, um, and much of it is around. Uh, litigation reduction risk. Um, yeah, so it was one that was, that's not really something that we've thought about, and because of how we staff our legislature, I don't think it's it's even possible for us to hand it over to, you know, the IT or help desk and say, you you guys make sure our our statements are all accurate and vetted. Um, but and in a sense, like you said, they have a bigger nonpartisan staff body. Right, right. So the, there's more resources. To more resources out of the hands of the individual legislature, legislator. Mm-hmm. So it goes to the agent, you know, so um, I had the impression that you, you know, you as a, I could as Rep. Sarah Hannon say, I want to make a statement on something, and then I send it over to them to finalize the crafting, verify the facts, and then post it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how, so that's how it works in Washington. In Washington, mm-hmm. yeah. Very different than what we do. We've got 60 different versions of how social media works in Alaska. <laughs> well, well, let's, let's say 61, because certainly our governor has been one well, who has used social media very actively in, in his communication with Alaskans. And like you were saying in the first part of the program, guidance would be helpful. Guidance is helpful. And our current, so- our current social media policy was crafted in 2011. So it's a few years old, and in the social media world, it's you know kind of quaint and antiquated. Um, and it's not that we've not been working on it, but as you know, legislators legislatures are kind of reactive. We haven't had problems, and so until there's big problems, you don't have the time and energy to focus on it. But like I said, we've had at least three legal challenges to individual members over social media procedures and pro protocols. Um, so it's clear we we need to give our members additional guidance so that we don't have 60 lawsuits. Yeah, that was that was interesting since it was that was before, I believe, in, things like Instagram well before TikTok and those newer social media platforms were even thought of. So right. that's that that is interesting. It hasn't been touched since 2011. Now, there's another topic I wanted to take up with you before we close out here, and that's the topic of bycatch. We're seeing a lot of talk amongst candidates in the state and federal elections regarding it, especially for the Yukon and Kuskokwim rivers. What are your thoughts? Well, I got two thoughts, and one is we do not want legislatures, you know, 60 of us, making specific fish decisions. And in many cases, it's not actually in our hands. So a lot of the bycatch issue in the Bering Sea affecting the Kuskokwim and Yukon River are federally governed fisheries, right? It's a pollock fishery, it's a crab fishery, and the bycatch is the salmon that's being decimated and the runs aren't returning. Um, 
my job as a legislator is to make sure that we are funding the best science to make sure we're understanding where the problems are and what solutions we can offer. And I stand behind that our our Department of Fish and Game across Alaska has good science, and we've got NOAA scientists that can provide us good science. Now, translating good science into policy and making sure our Board of Fish, who does some allocative decisions, um, have that science to guide their allocative decisions. But we need to make sure that we also have um, all the voices at the table and the opportunity to interact with the federal decision makers about those. Um, you know, king salmon is is one of the heartbreaking issues. You know, so king salmon that are being caught as bycatch and not making it into the Yukon and Kuskokwim rivers, and then we've got hundreds and thousands of people across to Alaska, uh, especially in you know rural communities on those rivers who have. Thousands of years of dependence on salmon as a critical resource. It's, we need it's subsistence. It's subsistence. But even if we have really good management on the rivers and we have really good science about what we're doing once they're back in state waters, it's not the only piece of it. You know, the, the, the whole ocean science is a piece that we need to make sure we are paying attention to and we need to... Uh, participate in that science and have all the voices of knowledge about what's changing there and engaging in it. Mm. Um, Very good. But I would ask if there's anything to add, but we are over time. But. Well, I just want to make sure everybody knows the primary election is next Tuesday and early voting is currently available in across Alaska and in Juneau. It's available at both the Mendenhall Mall Division of Elections and at the State Office Building. Um, and in both those locations, any of the 40 election districts in Alaska ballots are available and people should take advantage of making sure they've got their primary voting done. Thank you for that reminder, Representative, and thank you for being on the program. Kevin, always good to see you. (laughs) Happy August. (laughs) Well, the pleasure's mine. Happy August and happy August 10th to you all. Thank you for listening. This is Kevin Allen for Action Line signing off.